Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another edition of To The Point Podcast. I'm your host, Noah Warren. Hope you guys all had a great weekend. I know I did lots of sports to recap today, lots to get into, where we had the Masters, we had the UFC pay-per-view, the NBA playoffs technically begin on Saturday, although there is the play-in tournament. So is that is that the postseason, isn't it? Either way, there's games tomorrow night, and they're win-and-you-go-home type scenarios. Also going to talk about, uh, obviously, the NHL and the Major League Baseball first four days of the season. I've enjoyed it. I've watched a lot of baseball over the last couple of days. Uh, and, you know, it's hard to make assessments right away, but I will touch on a few things as we go through the course of the show today. But let's start with the Masters. And if you're listening, if you're watching, if you have any comments, if you want a topic that's being discussed, please let me know in the uh, comment section if you're listening to us live. But Augusta National, the Masters, it was, I can't say it was one of the, one of the Masters that I enjoyed watching the most. It was anticlimactic. It was never really past the second hole yesterday where uh, Cam Smith had went birdie, birdie to start. He was within two strokes of Scotty Scheffler. It never really got that tight because following that, Cam Smith bogeyed his next two holes and Scheffler continued his dominance. It was a masterclass in how to play Augusta. Scotty Scheffler shoots a five under, a three under, and we hardly saw him get into any trouble. The last hole on Saturday where he put into the trees where he had to take a drop, but other than that, he was rock solid. He didn't seem like the pressure got to him, 18 aside, which we'll get to. But it was Scotty Scheffler really demonstrating that he is worthy of being the best player in the world. I definitely thought when I saw Scotty Scheffler was the new number one player in the world that it was premature. That... Yes, he had won three events that season, but to me, to be the best player in the world, you have to at least have a major under your belt. And he answered those questions. The 25-year-old, 67 days ago, did not have one PGA Tour win under his belt. He now has four. He dominated that course like no other. He's the fourth youngest player to win Augusta behind Tiger, Spieth, and Jack Nicholas. It was it was truly spectacular. And if Rory McElroy didn't have the eight under course tying record day, it would have been even more boring of a Sunday at, at the Masters because yes, Shane Lowry went three under and he finished. Uh, in in third place, tied with Cam Smith, who went one over for the day. There's obviously Colin Morikawa, who went five under yesterday. Good day, but he still lost by six strokes coming in fifth. So it, it was just from f- early Friday on, it was Scotty Scheffler, and that was it. Nobody got really that close. And when there was a hiccup, he didn't make mistakes while his opponents did. Cam Smith had a chance to win. He couldn't control his driver. It sprayed everywhere, and he missed some putts that I'm sure he'll be looking back on 
wishing he had back. But I do think we are in this new wave of golf where Scotty Scheffler is the number one player in the world. He now has a major under his belt. He's tied for majors with guys like John Rahm, Justin Thomas, all these players that before this tournament were seen in higher regard to Scheffler. But I do think there's the reset now where who is the top dog? Who, when when you're making your picks, when, you, when you're on FanDuel or on these accounts and you're saying, who's the favorite to win every major? I'm not so sure there is a set guy in golf right now. Scotty Scheffler won this major, but Gary Woodland has won a major. Danny Willett has won a major. Justin Thomas only has one. John Rahm has one. Dustin Johnson has two. It's very back and forth. Colin Morikawa finishes fifth. He has two majors. He's a very young as well, like Scotty Scheffler. But I find it very hard to say that there is one guy in golf where you even could say, I have, you know, if you have a, we're doing it in fractions and you have a pie. I have a hard time saying that you could put 50% of your trust in one, in one guy, 50% of that pie, you're giving it to one guy. I don't see that person out there. It could be Scotty Scheffler. I mean, he won four times in 67 days. That's unprecedented. But there's still that doubt for me. I still need to see more. But again, I need to see more from everybody else. You look through this. McElroy comes in second. Rory McElroy has not won a major in five plus years. Sure, he had a great day. Eight under, ties a course record, finishes in second. But what's the what's the thought coming out of this major? Well, Rory didn't win Augusta again. He's one major away from from finishing the the Grand Slam, winning every major. It's Augusta. So if he wins the PGA, if he wins the British or the U.S. Open later this year, sure, it's it's a great achievement. It's a success. But ultimately, I think Rory McIlroy will be looked at the remainder of his career like Phil Mickelson, where Phil's a great golfer, but he's never won the U.S. Open. He doesn't have the he doesn't have every major, and therefore it's always you're like, well, he was great, but he didn't get this. Shane Lowry finishes third. He's won a British Open, but he'll never be regarded as one of the top golfers in the world. Cam Smith is has won twice on tour this year. I think Cam Smith will win a major in the not-too-distant future. But you can't have faith in Cam Smith to be the guy moving forward. He's never won a major. He gagged away a Sunday. Sure, he finished his third, but he should have finished He finished five, uh, five strokes off the lead. So we go through it. To me, the best player in the world is Colin Morikawa. But do I have 50% faith that he's going to win the PGA next month? I don't. I can't give it to anyone. And with all that being said, I think that's better. Tiger Woods was the focus of this year's Masters. He'll be the focus of every tournament that he plays in for the remainder of his career. But in his prime, in his heyday, 80% of people, you put your faith in that Tiger Woods is going to win that tournament, in particular the majors. 
I'm not so sure that was that great. Yes, Tiger helped Nike. Yes, he helped his personal brand. And of course, he helped the sport of golf reach new heights that the sport I don't think ever thought it could, especially when it comes to diversity and getting minorities to watch a white man's sport. But when it comes to the product, when it comes to interest, when it comes to intrigue, I'm not so sure it was ever there. It was Tiger Woods and everybody else. There was no heel. There was no villain that could go after Tiger, could threaten him for dominance. It was Tiger or bust. So in that sense, it was very predictable. It was very mundane. We are now in a position where there is no set head honcho. There is no guy that you go into every tournament that you say he's going to win. I'm sure a lot of you have your um, drafts for majors, things of that nature. John Rahm will get picked first. But John Rahm was paired with Tiger Woods yesterday, and they teed off at 11.30 a.m. They were all, they were on 17 by the time the Scotty Scheffler and um, and Cam Smith took the course. Their round was basically over by the time the leaderboard was there. So John Rahm was an afterthought. He barely made the cut. Victor Hovland was in the was in the la first group out on Saturday morning. I'm just making the point that there is no set guy. For Canada, could Corey Connors win a major? Yes, he could. He finishes T6 at this major. Another top 10 finish at a major for Corey Connors. He could be a major champion. Canada hasn't had a major champion since Mike Weir. That was back in 2003. But in this era, I believe Corey Connors could be a major champion. I believe a Will Zalatoris, who finishes in the top 10 for the second straight year at Augusta National, could be a major champion. He shot five under yesterday. I still think his putting stroke is one of the ugliest on tour, but the guy is a stick. Victor Hovland, Minwoo Lee is a guy on the rise. I There's... A lot, a lot of great golfers. And I will take, I don't know who's going to win over predictability every single time. Because a great story is not predictable. It would have been very nice in Harry Potter if Dumbledore, Harry, Ron, Hermione, and all our favorite cast of characters could have lived. They could have just killed Voldemort and everything goes just on their way. But it couldn't happen that way. Dumbledore has to go so that Harry can defeat the villain and move on to greener pastures, have a better life. That was what made it more compelling. That's what made you want to throw the Half-Blood Prince book like I did when I was spoiled in grade, in grade six. Now I realize this is a sports podcast. I'm making Harry Potter reference, but I think you know where I'm going at. Every story is not focused right down the middle. It's not a, it's not just a, a, a street that just says, keep going, just go forever. There's no 
There's no drifts. There's no potholes. You're not hitting anything that make you go off course. There's, there has to be impediments. There has to be something that, that makes you interested. There has to be, now are there, you know, Bryson DeChambeau is entertaining, uh, Brooks Kepka, some of these guys, but at, at the forefront of it, what you want is who's going to win today? Who's going to win this year? I don't know. People thought Tiger Woods could win Augusta. I never did. But people, legitimate, you know, smart people, Nota Begay said it on the Dan Patrick show on Friday that he thought that Tiger Woods was going to win the Masters. No, it looks crazy. But that's where golf is right now. Phil Mickelson won a major last year at 51 years old. Crazy shit can happen. Now for Tiger Woods, not the weekend he wanted. Struggled in particular on Saturday, had a really rough day. Um, and, you know, I think the best thing I said, what would be the best thing for him is if he can get through all four rounds physically. He did that. He checked that box. I don't think it was easy. As I think Sunday, in particular Saturday, he was really grinding. I think that cold weather really affected him. But for Tiger Woods, he got through four rounds of golf. Wasn't pretty, but he got through it. He's committed to playing at, at uh, St. Andrews in July at the Open Championship. He said he might try to play the PGA next month. So the litmus test, I said it was the second round to see how he played. I don't view it that way. He made the cut. What an achievement. But he played four days. We got to see Tiger Woods play golf. You got to see his every shot. They pan to him even on Sunday when he's so far off the lead. They'll go show Tiger Woods. Now, would it be nice if he was in contention? If he was in the final group? Of course. But just seeing an icon play golf, play a sport one last time is something special. I think something we all have to enjoy. You think of swan song seasons. Was Kobe Bryant that good in his last year for the Lakers? No. Was Derek Jeter playing that great a shortstop his last season to the Yankee? Could argue he never did, but no. Roy Halladay was not the same pitcher when he returned to Toronto. I could go through examples. But you got to see them for you know for Kobe Bryant that whole year. People knew you're going through New Orleans. It's Kobe's last time. You're seeing them for the your last chance to see this icon play. You know, and I think this is what could be happening with Tiger. He might want to play his favorite events one more time. Could this be his final Masters? I wouldn't rule it out. I also think maybe he plays three more. But in other sports where guys say, you know, I'm going on my farewell tour. This is my last season. This is it. And sometimes it can be pretentious. Some guys don't like that they do that. But I, I can remember as a huge Dirk Nowitzki fan, he had his last year and he made it known before that it was his last season, that Dirk was going to retire. I watched his last game. I watched a lot of Dallas Mavericks games that year. Was Dirk Nowitzki what he was in 2011? 
No, but I got to enjoy my favorite player. The guy I, I love to watch play. I got to enjoy him that season. And that's all you can really ask for. Tiger Woods got to play. If you're the biggest Tiger Woods fan, of course the pipe dream is that he wins this past week. But that never was in the cards. That never was a realistic possibility. If you thought that, you're, you're, you got pie in the sky. But maybe he gets better. Maybe his send-off is a truly Hollywood moment where he could win the Open Championship or he returns to Augusta National next year and makes a run at it after a full year of recovery, a full year of playing some tour events along the way. Maybe that's the great story here. We have to wait and see. But I think we also have to appreciate watching legends, watching people we've admired for many, many years. Even if you're not a big Tiger Woods fan, he changed the sport. Golf is not a is not a contact sport, but I don't know if there's an athlete that is more feared in their sport like Tiger Woods is in golf. That he might not have that same aura, that same mystique, but the respect is still there. Bryson DeChambeau missed the cut. He stuck around to watch Tiger's round on Saturday. Bryson DeChambeau is not doing that for everybody, but he did it for Tiger. So that's where, what I think we all have to think about here. Golf's in a good spot, and to put a cherry on top, Tiger Woods is still here. He's still playing. He's going to be at the Open Championship. Maybe in a month's time, he's at the PGA. Wouldn't that be something? It's still unknown, but let's enjoy what we have. He gutted out four rounds of golf this week. I think it was extremely difficult in his body. I think he's extremely sore today, but he did it. And he did it for the fans. He did it for the people that have supported him. Sure, he did it to prove it to himself, but at the same time, we all got to enjoy it together. Maybe one last time, but even if it is one last time, it was one more time than we ever thought we would get. I, I, I loved it. I thought it was, like I said, it wasn't one of the most entertaining masters ever, but it's still Augusta National. It's still such a fantastic event. You can't, it, it I love it every year. Those greens, the look, the hole on 16. You get moments. Stuart Sink getting a hole-in-one, then missing the cut, but still getting a hole-in-one. Rory McIlroy getting two birdie putts from the bunker yesterday in crazy fashion. You know, um, Scheffler finishing finishing the tournament with a with a four-putt on 18. What if, he, what if it was a one-stroke lead? He loses the tournament to Rory McIlroy. Thankfully, he escaped. But, you know, that even had drama. So, we're, through, we're down the first major of the season. Again, a month's time, we'll be at the PGA. We'll see what comes of it. But congratulations to Scotty Scheffler. Four wins in 67 days. Truly taking the golf world by storm. He doesn't have a, a personality that's really cocky or abrasive. But I think for his sake, he should show some 
And I'm not talking about reading up Bible verses when you win. You can do it if you have to, but that's not that's not my idea of something that I find that real that compelling. So we'll see. But g- good masters, good to see Tiger, he, and uh, a Canadian finishes T10. So good for Corey Connors as he does it again at, at another major. The NBA season came to an end yesterday. We still had a lot to decide as we had in, as we headed into the. Uh, final day of the NBA regular season where almost every team was playing. You had some big games. And, you know, the NBA the past couple of years have made changes. We now have the play-in tournament where, if you're not familiar, the tomorrow night the seven and eight seeds in the Eastern Conference and Western Conference will meet one another. The winner of that game will be the seventh seed in the respective conference. So the Brooklyn Nets will host the Cleveland Cavaliers. The winner of that game will be the seventh seed, and they will play the Boston Celtics in the first round of the playoffs. In the West, it'll be the Minnesota Timberwolves hosting the Los Angeles Clippers. The winner of that game will play the Memphis Grizzlies in the first round. So then the loser of that game will play the winner of two games. In the West, Spurs-Pelicans. So Spurs-Pelicans, we played Wednesday night. The the loser of Spurs-Pelicans season is over. They're done. They technically didn't even make the playoffs. They get one extra game, so you can sell some ticket revenue, and the mothership and TNT can have some programming. And in the East, the Charlotte Hornets, for the second straight year they're in the play-in, will play the Atlanta Hawks. Winner plays the loser of Brooklyn-Cleveland. So the play-in tournament. I don't love the play-in tournament of the of the NBA, but I also am not going to I'm not going to complain about a league trying something different and trying something to make more revenue. The NHL would never do this. They'd never have the creativity. Gary Bettman would never want to do this. Now, I don't think the play-in tournament is the way to go. There, there's going to be four extra, uh, well, there's two, like six extra games. So that's pause. That's more revenue. That, that's a positive thing for the sport. However, what I would do if I ran a sports league, if I was a commissioner, I would have eight teams from the East, eight teams from the West. So no play in tournament, no more of this rinky dig stuff. What you do is you get all 16 teams and they get ranked based on their winning percentage, based on seeding things of that nature. And the team that finishes first gets to pick who they play in the first round. It, it's, it's a made-for-TV event. You can put it on the mothership. You can put it on TNT. And you can have inside the NBA guys, Shaq, Barkley, you know, Ernie and Kenny, can react to the Phoenix Suns are first uh, in the NBA when it comes to point, the, the most wins. So that means the Phoenix Suns will get to look at the top eight playoff teams of, e- of each conference and be like, hey, in the first round, we want the Clippers or we want the Timberwolves. You get to pick. And maybe it would be dull, but I think it would create havoc. Because what if the Phoenix Suns say, you know what? Give us, give us Brooklyn. Give us the Brooklyn Nets in the first round, who might be an eight seed, so that could be what it would be normally. But also, 
you know, I want, you know, you look Chris Paul and Devin Booker and the boys in Phoenix, you know, give us Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. We want to shut those guys up. You know, the, uh, the flat earther, give us him, give us those guys and let's go to, let's, let's go cook them. Let's go kick their ass. And it would be fantastic television because I think a lot of teams would be offended. I think it would make the series far more entertaining and, you know, and so then Phoenix say they pick Brooklyn or whoever they pick. But then the Heat get to go next. And they say, you know what? Uh, give us the Timberwolves. We have no faith that the Timberwolves have no playoff experience. Yeah, sure. Cat had a great season. Anthony Edwards is a stud. But they're young little T-Wolves. They're just happy to be here. Let's get rid of them real quick. But that's how I would do it. Because the Spurs and Pelicans are no threat. If either one of these teams plays the Suns, it's very boring. They're not going to beat the Phoenix Suns. I think those would be very quick series. And it, it just doesn't interest me to watch it, quite frankly. Will I watch it? Of course. But because I'm a nut. But it's not, you know, oh, I, I have to watch this. I have to watch this game between Spurs and Pelicans on Wednesday night. You know, I got to stay up for, for that big event. That That's not how I view it. But, um, and also I think there's gotta be like a cutoff because I look at these teams. So as we look at these playing teams in the East, Brooklyn is six games over 500. So is Cleveland, Atlanta and Charlotte are both, at least these teams are over 500. I give them that much credit. At least you're in the playing team. You're over 500 in the West. New Orleans is 10 games under 500, they're in the nice seed. The uh, San Antonio is 14 games under 500, and they make, they technically make the playoffs. They technically could be an eight seed. I think there has to be a requirement where you have to at least be competent. I mean, the Eastern Conference is far superior than the West this season. It's a way tougher conference. And these teams are under the Clippers or the eight seed. They're only two games above 500. It should have, you should at least have to be above 500 to even be considered to make the playoffs because otherwise you're just garbage. New Orleans went from a, a tanking team to, okay, well, CJ McCollum is available. Let's pick him up. Now we'll make the playoffs because we're competing with Sacramento who are a joke with Portland who tried their damnedest to catch Oklahoma City, catch Houston, couldn't because they tanked too late, but they only finished with 27 wins. Um, the Lakers, who were a joke all season, they a punching bag, a punch, a punch line, if you will, throughout the whole season. So I don't mind the play. Like I said, it, it's creative. It, it brings something to the table, but I don't think I think it can be tweaked if you're going to keep the play-in style. I wouldn't do, I would do just maybe seven, eight, nine play in like a tournament. Maybe it's, you know, over the next three nights, you have a tournament. It's like a, a, every, every team plays each other. And a, say Brooklyn plays, Cleveland plays Atlanta. If if they're 2 0, they, they're the seventh seed, then Atlanta and Cleveland play to see who's the eighth spot. Something like that where there's bigger stakes. I, I just, I think you get far too many teams involved that shouldn't be there. And, I'm interested to see the ratings because last year 
you know, you had, I think Phoenix was in a playing game and you had some interesting teams and, you know, LeBron complained about it and th- this and that, and he killed being a playing game this year. But you know, in the East, I think Brooklyn, Cleveland will do good ratings on Tuesday night because you have Kevin Durant, you have Kyrie Irving, and I think people will be watching that game, oddly enough, hoping that Brooklyn loses. And I think the NBA, if they had a gun to their head, would hope that Brooklyn loses that game because I think they want, they obviously want Brooklyn to make the playoffs, but they want them to play another game. I don't think they want Friday night to be Cavs versus, um, versus Hawks. I don't think that's going to be a game that's that sexy, that, that that's appealing. Uh, Clippers, T-Wolves, again, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just curious to see what the ratings are like because I just can't see that many people. And again, I'll, I'll sprinkle around. It'll be in the rotation, of course, but I'm a huge sports fan. Are people going to be, I'm going to go out of my way to watch Spurs Pelicans. I just don't, are people going to go out of their way to say, I got to watch Hornets Hawks. Now out of all the games I've mentioned so far, I think that's going to be the best one. If I, I, if I could watch one of these playing games and it includes the Brooklyn game against Cleveland, I would pick Hornets Hawks because I think LaMelo ball is incredibly fun to watch. And I think Trey Young is incredibly fun to watch. Atlanta is in the playing game. They need to win two games to get in. They were in the conference final last year. People forget that, that they they lost in six to Milwaukee. And many people would argue they should have made it to the NBA finals with Giannis's injury. But, you know, that... I, I, I think this is how it's going to go. I believe that the Nets... The Nets will get by Cleveland tomorrow night. Cleveland's got a bunch of injuries. They've hit the skids down the stretch. And just Brooklyn is, is just a better team right now. I think that I could see the Clippers beating the Timberwolves. And the reason I say this, the Clippers have more playoff experience. Again, they're a conference final team last year as well. Although they don't have uh, Kawhi Leonard, they do still have Reggie Jackson. Paul George is back. They got a nucleus of players that have played together. And the Timberwolves have no playoff experience. Carlton Towns, Anthony Edwards, they're very new to this. Again, I think people in Minnesota will be jacked up because it's a playoff game. You win it, you know you're playing Memphis, which I think is a, is a better matchup because you're playing a team with little playoff experience as well. But I could see the Clippers winning that. Uh, and then as you go forward, who the hell knows? I mean, the second round of playing games, I believe the Pelicans will beat the Spurs. But again, it's, it's two teams that have no playoff pedigree. I mean, you got Greg Popovich. I'm sure he'll be geared up. It could potentially be his last game as an NBA coach. I haven't heard that it is if they lose, but, you know, he's coached the Spurs the last number of years. They've had little success after Duncan, Ginobili, and Tony Parker have retired. And it doesn't look like they're going to be gangbusters moving forward. So I, maybe, that's the, maybe that's the appeal you watch Pop's last game. And I think the Hawks are slightly better than the Hornets. Gordon Hayward is hurt. looks like Charlotte's a little banged up. So I think Trey Young will do enough to get Atlanta to the, to play the, the loser of the Cleveland Brooklyn game on Friday night. So that's where that stands, but there's also set matchups when it comes to the NBA playoffs. So we have series 
that are that are locked in, set in stone, and those will begin on Saturday. And when it comes to Canada, the Toronto Raptors are the, the fourth seed, uh, so the uh, the fifth seed, and they have drew the Philadelphia 76ers in the first round of the playoffs. I think this is the best possible matchup for the Toronto for the Toronto Raptors. They are a team that missed the playoffs last year, were in the lottery, got fourth. Scotty Barnes turned out to be a godsend, and he's really helped turn this team around. But if you could play Miami or or um, Boston or Milwaukee, I picked the Sixers out of those top four seeds. And I believe that the Raptors are excited that they got the 76ers. I don't think they're afraid of them. And I, quite frankly, I could see the Raptors winning this series, pulling off the upset. And obviously, you look at it just squaring it up. Embiid is going to be a problem for the Raptors. In the past, they had Marcus All, they had Ibaka, who did enough to bother Embiid. Right now, you have Achua, who's undersized. You have Chris Boucher, who is extremely tall but extremely lean, would be hard pressed to guard him. There is no Kawhi Leonard to come over and help. But it just seems like Embiid struggles against the Raptors. They have a good way of guarding him, causing him some problems. So Big series for him, and obviously containing him will be the biggest chat will be the biggest challenge for the Raptors. But I look for Philly. Philly has the player with the most pressure in the entire playoffs to me, and it's not even close. That would be James Harden. James Harden has been in the NBA a long time. Started with Oklahoma City as a six man, had no real pressure. You had Westbrook, Kevin Durant. He was just that guy that came off the bench that people said he could be a starter in other places. And they were right. Wins an MVP. Star in Houston. Gets them to conference finals. Has poor efforts where they should have reached the NBA finals, but he comes up short in the big moments. So now we're at a point where he's looking around and saying, I quit on Houston and I got traded to Brooklyn. A little over a year later, I'm tired of Brooklyn. I hate Kyrie Irving. His ideals are stupid. He's selfish. I'm sick of this. He basically quits on Brooklyn to get to Philadelphia where he can reunite with Daryl Morey, who originally traded for him in Houston. And he has been one of the biggest playoff failures when it comes to a superstar in the history of the NBA. And he always comes up small. And in the past, he was at his apex. He was at least an MVP and you, you could look at his regular season and be like, well, if he can just put it together, he has all the tools. But as I look at James Harden right now, he is a guy I don't trust in big playoff moments. He's a guy that's not in the best shape. He's a guy that just seems he's not he's not what he used to be. He used to be able to blow by people. He had that ability. It's just not there right now. And not only that, but the Philadelphia 76ers' best defender – Matthias Thibel, and this is a crazy story. I, I learned this this morning listening to the mothership. Matthias Thibel got one, one COVID-19 vaccine. He got his first dose. But this moron got the first dose, but he decided, no, I don't want to get the second one. So he got the first dose of, of the COVID vaccine, but you need both to play in Canada. 
But no, he was too lazy or too incompetent to not just go get the other one. If you were an anti-vaxxer, okay, I get it. Well, you, you already got one. So you already, you already bended to the system, if you will. You already, you already cracked. You're already, uh, you're already a, a loser if, if that was your stance. You went against it because you got the first one. But this idiot decided not to get the second dose of the vaccine, so he can't play in Canada. So the 76ers' best on-ball defender, a guy who shoots great corner threes, a really good player, I like him, really good player, was too stupid, too incompetent to not go get the second jab. He got the first one. So it's not like, oh, okay, I'm against – it's not Kyrie Irving where at least he stuck to his stance. This guy's like, oh, I'll go get the first one. Nah, I'm playing in Nintendo Switch. I can't go get the second jab. Like, they're selfish. Like, Kyrie Irving is selfish. The guy is a pain in the ass. I, I think he's out to lunch. But at least he stuck to his guns. At least he had the courage of his convictions. At least he's, he meant what he said. This guy is just stupid or lazy or incompetent or... What was the favorite answer on the test? All of the above. So your best on-ball defender can't play in Canada. So that means three, I think this game, this series going between six, seven games, three of those games, he can't play. So it means you're going to have a different starting lineup. You have to start a new player. Your rotations change. It's a big difference. He can't play in those games. Because even if he got jabbed, Today, it's two weeks. With when you get whatever it is, Johnson Johnson, it's two weeks. You got to let it soak in, whatever the hell, whatever the fuck the science says about that. You got to let it breathe. You know, it's like you're, it's like you're apologizing to your girlfriend. Just let it breathe. Let let her let her take it in. Let her breathe in it. Let let her let her embrace that you're sorry. Make her think it. So that's what he can't play in Toronto. So Harden is not that great, not playing well. I don't trust him. Your best on-ball defender can't play in Toronto. Your team is severely worse without Seth Curry, without Drummond. Because you had to trade those guys for Harden. So beyond Embiid, you have DeAndre Jordan. Joe Reed is, was playing some. This team would be better. The Sixers, I'd have them going farther in the NBA playoffs if they did not trade for James Harden. If they still had their players, and so they traded Ben Simmons to Sacramento for Buddy Heald or even Tyrese Halliburton, which would have been incredible because I think that, guy, that kid's a stud playing for Indiana. But if you would have done that and not traded away Drummond, who's playing well, Seth Curry, who's so important to your team, they'd be in better shape. But I'm not, I'm not going to make predictions yet. But I think the Raptors have a very good chance of beating the 76ers. To me, it's not an upset if they win it. That's a pick em series. Yes, 76ers have home court. That, that's, that can be a big deal, in, in, especially in basketball. But we've seen in recent years that started to shift. Number one seeds aren't win It used to be you get number one seed, you're winning. It doesn't work like that anymore. Things have changed. The Lakers had home card against Phoenix. They lost in the first round last year. Celtics, LeBron's last year in Cleveland, 
had home court. They lost in game seven. Things, shit happens. It doesn't always work out. Okay, you have home court, you automatically win. Maybe this year, but I think the Raptors are in a good position to compete for and advance to the second round. And for them, they're in, they're in the side of the draw with the Miami Heat and potentially it would likely be the Heat. Maybe if Brooklyn loses, they could play Brooklyn. But I would rather play the Heat in the second round than Milwaukee or Boston for that matter. Milwaukee's the best team in the East for me, but I, I I try to avoid, you know, for the Raptors, they're not a championship caliber team. But could they go on a run where they get to a conference final? Yeah, maybe. Because who knows? Atlanta wasn't a championship caliber team. They basically have the same team as they did last year. They're in the play-in. So things can happen where you get breaks your way. We'll see. That's one matchup. Boston Celtics will play the Chicago Bulls. That is the the um, three versus uh, two versus uh, three versus six matchup. Or no, sorry, it's the Bucks versus the Bulls. Uh, Celtics are awaiting the the playing result. So the Bucks will play the Bulls. Um, you know, for the Bucks, I mean, this is I think it's going to be a really smooth first round. The Bulls are beat up. Uh, you know, by midseason, they look like a team that was going to be a threat in the playoffs. I think this will be a really easy series for Milwaukee, a good cakewalk. I could see them sweeping the Bulls. Maybe the Bulls fight, get one win at home. Um, but the Bucs are just a better team. Lonzo isn't playing. Caruso's banged up. It's going to be a lot of DeMar DeRozan. Zach Levine is playing hurt. So I think this is a really good draw from Milwaukee. They rested every starter and some yesterday, and they lost to Indiana by like 50 points. So you could argue they didn't want to get Brooklyn potentially in a playing game, which, you know what, that, that's their prerogative. I don't blame them for that. You could say they're ducking their possible opponents, but I'm, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt because they beat Brooklyn last year to get to win the NBA championship. I feel like they feel they can beat anybody, but they just might want an easier first round. It's so beneficial when you can sweep a first round potentially and you get rest and you, you get time to recoup and you might see the Celtics have to play the, the Nets, which is what I hope. I want to see that series. And I think that could be a grueling one. I don't think that I think the Bucs could be done for four or five days before the, the Celtics can dispose of the Nets, or maybe they put up a greater fight. So you could say they're ducking them. I really don't care. If the, if at the end of this postseason, they're the champions, who cares? What you can say is, well, they were a lot smarter than us because they didn't have to go this, through this team. We were tired when we got to Milwaukee. They ultimately beat us. The only people that will complain and throw shade about that or let's say Celtics fans who you know are complaining about their team losing when you're probably going to lose to that team anyway. So out west, Golden State will play Denver. That's the three versus six spot. Um, Dallas will play Utah in the four versus five series. Denver, I believe, has you know Denver is the team that is the six seed, but they're not a good they're not a good team. I think this is a favorable matchup for Golden State, who are entering the playoffs banged up. Steph Curry hasn't played in a while. They've been banged up all year. They've been really inconsistent. I think this is a matchup they can really exploit. Denver has been a team all year that's been carried by Nikola Jokic. Jokic is 
He, I think he's the MVP. Um, I would vote for Giannis personally, but I believe Jokic will win the MVP. And if you're looking at the award and you define it as the most valuable player to his team with the players around him, it will definitely be Nikola Jokic because he's dealt with injuries all year to Aaron Gordon, Michael Porter Jr. Jamal Murray didn't play a game. And you look around and you go, the guy is almost averaging a triple-double, and he's getting his assists from guys like Bones Highland and Jeff Green and Boogie Cousins. It's just it's a cast of characters that would not impress anybody. He's playing with really inferior, you know, inferior talent. He got to a sixth spot. He was battling for fifth all year with he came out of the last day with Utah for that fifth seed. And I do think that Golden State should be able to win this series. But I think it's it's better for Denver to play Golden State right now than it is to play Dallas. Obviously, Luka Doncic got hurt yesterday uh, in the last game of the season for Dallas. But since Doncic has been with the with the Mavericks, they have never won a playoff series. They haven't won a playoff series since they won the championship back in 2011, 11 year, uh, years ago. I believe that ends this year. Utah has just been sputtering their wheels. You got Mitchell, you got Mike Conley. And the team is all I've I thought to be better this year. And then they're just they're just there. I think Dallas, although Luca is the only star on the team, really, Dinwiddie, their cast of characters will come to play. They'll make big shots. And I think we'll see Dallas win their first round. And a Dallas Golden State second round will be uh a, a Golden State Memphis, potentially second round. Then you have Phoenix that would get the um the Mavericks. So that, that'd be fun as well. But like I said, the, the Suns and the um, Grizzlies are waiting to see who their opponent will be. Uh, some more, if Minnesota versus the Clippers, the winner of that game will play Memphis in the first round. The loser will play the winner of Spurs Pelicans, and they will meet the number one seeded Suns. And those series will likely begin on Sunday. As right now, the NBA schedule, NBA postseason schedule, is as follows: Saturday afternoon, two o'clock. You got um, you got uh, Mavericks Jazz, which I'm surprised that's the first game. I thought it would be the Raptors. Then I'm like, well, no, they're playing the Sixers. That game's probably on the mothership. So you got Raptors and you got the Sixers at seven Saturday night, and then followed by Nuggets Warriors at nine thirty. And as of right now, Sunday, there'll still there'll be more games. There'll be some afternoon fun uh, for sure. So the way the schedule works right now, it's Bulls, Bucks to be determined. So they haven't scheduled that game yet. But we'll obviously talk about this more throughout the week. We'll preview it more tomorrow. Seamus is off tomorrow. It's his birthday, 25th birthday tomorrow. So um, he'll be back Wednesday, but we'll talk about the play-in. We'll talk about basketball. I'll ask him who he thinks the MVP is. I, it won't be revealed. Uh, the votes, I think, have to be in by tonight. So the voters will get their votes in. But I, I, I think Jokic... It will win the MVP. I, I I believe Giannis should win it, but um, you know that's picking hairs. He's already got two. This would be Jokic's second MVP award. Um, but you know Giannis, I believe is the best player in the world, and I think for him, winning that second title would be so is far more important to him. He'd have two championships and in all likelihood two Finals MVPs and two regular season MVPs. So. How big would that be for his legacy, for his career, if he could accomplish that feat? Still has a long way to go. I think it's going to be a tough postseason for him. Obviously, last year they went 
game seven in the second round against Brooklyn, went into overtime, took them six games against Atlanta in the conference final, and it went to six against Phoenix after being down 2-0. So I think the Suns are better than they were last year. I think they're far more confident. I don't think we'll see them buckle like they did last year. But the Bucs are still a good team. They still have that championship identity. And as we head into the playoffs, the rematch to me is still what I'm going to pick. I, I said at the beginning of the year, I thought the Bucs would play the Suns again. I didn't buy into that Lakers Nets hype because I think that was just the mothership and people, you know, voting for LeBron. I think we'll see Bucks, Suns, and the NBA Finals again. They're the two best teams, in my opinion. Yes, the Heat finished first. I believe the Bucs will beat them in a series. They swept the Heat last year in the first round. And to me, the most dangerous team for the Bucs will be the Celtics. Maybe they meet in the, in the second round. That would be a lot of fun, that series. Um, uh, yeah, that, that would be that would be a lot of fun. If they could meet in the second round, I believe those would be the two best teams. And we'll see if Robert Williams can come back. That have a big impact on the Celtics and how they'd fare in that series when it comes to defending, you know, some of those big guys in the paint. But I like the Bucs and I like the Suns to re to get back to the NBA Finals and meet up with each other once again. Um, what a UFC card over the weekend! Obviously, UFC is is a sporadic sport that I I thoroughly enjoy and. You know, a couple of big fights on the on the card over the weekend. You saw um, really the fight of the night for me was, you know, I mentioned it last week, but Kamzat Chemaev beating Gilbert Burns in a thriller. He wins via unanimous decision. And to me, this was such an important fight for both guys. For Kamzat, he showed human side. He showed that he wasn't completely dominant. Gilbert Burns got some really good shots on him. It was one of the best fights I've seen. I wish it was five rounds because I think Gilbert might have won. But, you know, Kamsat is just such a spectacle. He's so fun to watch. And he, you know, he came out flying in the first round at all kinds of energy. And I really think he, he thought he was going to be able to knock out Gilbert in the first round. But he couldn't. And the second round, Gilbert came out and just picked his spots, landed some big shots. And what was the big defining moment for me was this Kamzat saying, you know what, I might not knock him out tonight, but I'm going to win by decision. I'm going to I'm gonna do my best to beat him here. I'm going to get him on the ground. I'll get a takedown. Gilbert tried to get a takedown on Kamzat, and he couldn't do it. The guy is unbelievably strong. And... Every fighter, every athlete is human. You're going to have, you don't dominate every time you're in there. And I think, you know, I don't always agree with Dana White, but this weekend I agree with him twice. Kamsat is human. He's not going to, he doesn't roll over everybody. It's not going to be a cakewalk every time he steps in the octagon. And I think a lot of people said after that fight, well, oh, he's not that good. He's undefeated. He beat the number two ranked welterweight in the world. Like, what more did you want? What more was on the table? What, what else did he have to prove? He won against high-end competition. He beat a guy that almost knocked out Kamara Usman. Yes, Usman knocked him out in the second round of their title fight. But in that first round, Gilbert Burns looked like the guy that was going to be the victor. He might have run out of gas and Kamaru caught him. But it was a highly, highly 
contested and a really good fight. So I, I just think it was important for him. He he had a war and he came out the other side of it. He he had a battle. He had to know what it was like to go in into an octagon with somebody of his caliber, a true warrior himself. And you know what? He did it. And I also think this is a big fight for Gilbert Burns because Gilbert, he didn't beat Kamzat, but I think he got his respect. I think this was a loss where he's not going to lose many rankings points. This could have been a fight where if he gets knocked out in the first round, he goes from number two to number eight, and he's lost in obscurity. But he battled. He didn't get knocked out. He didn't get submitted. He lasted the full three rounds, and he did everything he could to win. And not only that, but sometimes in MMA, it's about politics. And he took this fight where nobody else wanted to. I don't think Colby Covington wanted to fight Kamzat. I don't think Kamara Usman wants to fight him. A lot of these ranked welterweights want nothing to do with Kamzat Shumayev. You know, I don't think Masvidal and Covington, I think, fought each other more just because they didn't have to fight him. So he took a fight where he's fighting a number ranked 11 fighter as number two, and he didn't have to. He risked it all for potential gain where he gets a title shot if he beats Chimaev. But I look at this. I think Kamzat will face Colby Covington in this next fight because Usman is going to face Edwards later this year for the welterweight belt. And if I'm Dana White, I'm trying to set up a summer tilt between Covington and Chimaev. And then before the year's over, you have Usman and you have the winner of that fight for the belt. I believe it will be Chimaev. I believe he'll beat Colby Covington, who Usman has beaten twice already. But I think Gilbert Burns is still in the mix. I'm not sure who you get him at, at, at welterweight. Who's the fight? Does he fight, you know, Masvidal, potentially, who's really on, on a downward spiral? Who I don't know who the guy is that you book him with, but he's still very high in the rankings. He's, he's earned a lot of respect. And I think the UFC will, will appreciate the fact that he put on a great show. He won Fight of the Night Honors, so he gets a bonus. And that, you know, he he stepped in the ring and did did something a lot of other guys wouldn't do in this in that position and didn't do when they had the opportunity. So a truly fantastic fight. It was by far the fight of the night. And I I'm I think Kamzat Chamaya versus Colby Covington is the next fight to book. Dana White mentioned this. I think you do it as soon as you can. And Comset said it was a war. He hasn't been in one yet, so we'll see how much time he needs off. But I do think the guy's a freak. I think he wants to fight soon. I wouldn't be surprised. I think July, potentially Covington versus Chemaev. And what you do is you put Usman Edwards on the same card. Right now, there's a, a pay-per-view in Singapore on June 11th. And you have a couple of big fights. You know, Joanna uh, Armjicek is coming back to fight Zhang Dwelly. You got uh, Yuri Praska against Glover Teixeira in Singapore. Uh, that's on June 11th. July fight card in Vegas. And you have Edwards Usman and you have these two guys on the same card. So that the recovery time syncs up and that by November, Madison Square Garden, you have Chemaev Usman, who I think both will win those fights for the welterweight belt. That's what I would do. Uh, again, I'm not Dana White. I don't have all that power, but that is what I'm looking to do moving forward. That's the fights I want. And if Usman loses to Chemayev, he loses the belt, and he wants to go box, 
then you can go box after that. But at least UFC, you get two huge fights out of it and two really good pay-per-views. Because I know myself, I buy every pay-per-view. That's just something I do. I I love the UFC. I tape the main events if I can't watch them live. It's just a sport I've come to love. But Chamayev's just different. He walks out, he brings a different aura. He's a different beast in, in the fight game. To me, he's very much like John Jones, where you, you have to watch. You have to see what this guy's doing. McGregor had that for the wrong reasons because it was oversaturated hype. He was he's he's I don't I believe Chemayev is better now, right now, and he's young into his career than Conor McGregor ever was. I think he's gonna be a champion. I think he's gonna be a big star of this sport. I think he can move up weight classes. I just think the sky's the limit on what this guy can do going forward, but I'm, I'm really interested to see what he accomplishes just in 2022. I mentioned, I don't always agree with Dana. I agreed on this. So, you know, Alan Main Sterling fought Peter Yan in a, re, a rematch for the Bantamweight title after Yan was, was the champion heading in fighting Sterling. And he was disqualified for kneeing Sterling in the head while he was on the ground. Sterling rolled around. It was really dramatic. And Yan had to forfeit his belt. And this past weekend, it was a it was a five round. It went the distance, and to me, Sterling won rounds two and three. Four and five went to Peter Yan. First round was really up for debate, and I believe that Yan was a better fighter in round one. And they ruled the fight that Sterling retained the belt. And to me, it was one of the worst judging decisions I've seen in in a long time. They screwed Peter Yan, and I, I really wonder if this was a Ru- Russian bias thing because Yan is from Russia. He's kind of pro-Putin. Sterling, to me, Sterling's not good for the UFC because he's just, he is a complainer. He's always saying, oh, my haters, what are you going to do now? He didn't win that fight. He's been gifted two titles, in my opinion. He was gifted the first one when he was disqualified and he rolled around and took a belt where he didn't deserve it. And this past weekend, he won a fight because judges, for some reason, thought he won it. He didn't win it. He didn't, yet they gave him they gave him the decision. I hate that when, when the judges make a poor decision. It's so clearly wrong and there's nothing that comes out of it. Dana White did call them out. I give him that. But Yon should be champion. And he should be fighting TJ Dillashaw in the next fight. But now Sterling says, no, I want Dillashaw. And Yon has to go to the back of the line when he should have should have had his hand raised. So the, the wrinkle in all of this is there was that fight. And we saw Alex Volvanovsky at Featherweight just destroy um, the Korean zombie. I mean, he, he's on another level right now. Volvanovsky should really consider moving up in weight classes. I think the guy... It's too good, and he might fight Max Holloway again for a third time. Like I said, I think the first two fights were a draw there, although Volvanovsky won both of them. Again, that was another judging that I didn't agree with. But that would be compelling to see Blessed fight Volvanovsky again. But there's also this little wrinkle, and he is a small guy, but Triple C Henry Cejudo, who is a former two-division champion, retired a number of years ago, said you know, he announced this weekend he's going back into the USDA testing pool. So basically they, they test you for drugs. They start doing those tests on you so that you have the ability to fight again. And 
he, I want to see him fight because he's one of the best trainers right now. And Sterling or Volvanovsky, I'm all for. You know, TJ Dillashaw is a cheater. He got caught for performance enhancing drugs. And the fact that he come back, he did beat Corey Sanhagen. But I don't want to see Dillashaw fight for a belt because he's a drug cheat. And you know how I feel about drug cheats. I've been very clear about that on, on this podcast. But Cejudo against Sterling would be fun. Cejudo against Volvanovsky would be fun. Yawn, Cejudo, if they don't want to give uh, Cejudo a title shot right off the bat, which I understand, him fighting Pewter Yawn would be great. I think that would be a good fight to make. But I'm happy that he wants to come back because I think he's a really entertaining fighter. I believe they need him because Volvanovsky's running out of people to fight. You know, he's just he's running out of guys. He's either got to move up weight divisions or, or weight classes or, or Cejudo's going to have to fight him because – it's blessed or, no, or nobody right now. This Korean zombie took him, and it was, an, it, was, it was as if the zombie was heading into retirement. He was behind him. He didn't land any major shots. It was just Volvanovsky saying to everyone, I'm the bleeping man. This is my show. But Jacksonville solo crowd, it was fun over the weekend. Um, and two big cards coming up where you got great fights on it. And I'm looking forward to, to watching um, some great MMA coming out. So, so good card this weekend and looking forward to what's upcoming as well. Major League Baseball started this week and it started, you know, the last four days. And, you know, there's a lot, there's some, there's always big conclusions that people take out of this and you're like, well, what teams is, is there a World Series favorite and who who is the top dog? And that's not where I'm going with this because most teams are three to four games in. There's teams that played, you know, inferior talent where you, you had a series against the Washington Nationals, or in in the Mets case where they take three to four, or you know you you played uh, the Rays sweep Baltimore. That's not exactly the most impressive thing in the world, but. Looking at it, I would say this. I Saturday night, I was bouncing through a lot of different sporting events. I fell on Houston versus the Angels. And what I did think was impressive that you saw a matchup between Justin Verlander and Thor, a.k.a. Noah Syndergaard. And these two guys are both coming off Tommy John surgery, did not pitch in the majors last year. And they both go over five innings. They uh, Syndergaard didn't give up a run. Verlander gave up a solo home run to Jared Walsh. And it was just good to see these two guys back. Verlander's a Cy Young winner. He's won a World Series. Syndergaard, a high draft pick. Everybody knows he was dealt from the Blue Jays to the Mets originally in that R.A. Dickey trade, which was a disaster. Uh, you know, and he's throwing 95, 96, and he, he looked good. Obviously, he didn't, didn't go long in the game, but that's, that's where starting pitching is right now. The average length of a starter through the first four days of the MLB regular season was four and two-thirds innings. That's where it is right now. Relievers are massive. Your bullpens get worked because your starters don't go long. They just don't. They, they don't allow you sports science or guys seem to get to 90 pitches. And, oh, we can't make them throw 92. So, but I, I thought that was, uh, it was good to see those guys back. Um, Mike Trout was back out there as well. He hits a home run yesterday, I believe, but the Angels lose three or four. 
to the Astros. Close to home, things that I noticed. The Toronto Blue Jays. Well, their bats are as potent as any team in baseball. No surprise there. Vladdy looked fantastic. Uh, you know, Bichette, Springer, these guys, Chapman. But what the biggest takeaway was is how bad their starting pitching was. Barrios goes one-third of an inning on opening night. Gosman goes five innings, which was the stellar performance of the weekend. And Hinjin Ryu goes three and a third, but he gives up six earned runs, five hits, two walks. So his bad season last year continued. So for the Blue Jays, as they head into the Bronx to play the Yankees this week, four-game set, you need to your starters need to give you length. They need to give you something because your bullpen has already been used a lot. You've seen Merriweather, you've seen Romano stripling multiple times, Trent Thornton multiple times. So you can have that bullpen overworked early in the season. And I get it, pitching always struggles earlier in the season. But and your run, runs are easier to find right now, and it will slow down. Don't get me wrong, I know. But you know, you need you need some length. Robbie Ray, the former Blue Jay. Now Seattle Mariner went seven innings in his first start as a Mariner. Only threw 89 pitches, but he went seven innings. He gave them length. That, that's what you need to hope for. Could Alec Manoa, who will make his first start tonight, can he give you six? That'd be something. And we've seen some high scores. Guardians and Royals. I mean, the Guardians scored 17 runs yesterday. Still weird to say Guardians. But they scored 17 runs against the Royals. Both these teams stink. But you're seeing high scores. You're seeing mistakes. And one thing I touched on before the season about the Blue Jays, and I think he's imperative that, you, that he's in your lineup, but I think two big things can happen this year, and it would make them a better team. First off, Teoscar Hernandez should be an everyday designated hitter. He's playing right field right now. They obviously acquired uh, Bradley Zimmer from the Cleveland Guardians. They have uh, Ramil Tapaya, who they acquired um, from Colorado in the Randall Gritchick trade. So they have options. They're not great options, but they are options, and they're better defensively than Teoscar Hernandez. So his bat is imperative. You need him playing every day, but I think him accepting the DH role accepting it and embracing it and being the best that he can be with his bat, being a good teammate is important for this team and getting their best chance to win a world series. So I think that's something maybe that takes some time this year to accept, but I think it's something that Charlie Montoyo, the manager staff of Toronto should instill should have set by the end of the season because they need to, to have the best chance because there's run that's, play yesterday it's an easy play he's in the right field but he bobbles it the runner moves up they score a run on the play that just can't happen um also i think right now one of the biggest things is they don't want to play Tapaya every day in the outfield and they don't want to play zimmer every day in the outfield i understand that hopefully throughout the season there's a player that comes becomes available on a bad team where you can go you know what we want that guy to play field and hernandez could play could be our DH. And maybe that's Whit Merrifield. I think he's a guy um, 
potentially that could play the outfield. Uh, he's obviously in Kansas City right now. I mean, you look at bad teams, you, you look at teams that you expect to be, you know, at the bottom of the standings, and you kind of pick away at, well, is this guy available? Will this guy be available? That's how I look at it anyway. And, and you kind of you, you try to find somebody that could be a fish for your team. But with that being said, for Teoscar Hernandez to be an everyday designated hitter, Alejandro Kirk can't be a designated hitter. He'd have to catch. So I think what needs to happen as well is that Alejandro Kirk needs to become the everyday catcher for the Toronto Blue Jays. Danny Jansen's off to a hot start. He's batting like 750 right now. He's got two home runs. But if we know anything about Danny Jansen, that will slow down. He is not a guy, he's a fine catcher, good defensively. I think pitchers have a good rapport with him. But he could be a guy that makes a start. He could have a guy that he loves, that loves him as a catcher. They have rapport. And Alejandro Kirk could catch the other four days. He could be the Josh Tolley to the R.A. Dickey, if you will. Or maybe he makes two starts out of the five, of the five starters. But to me, he he's better as a, as a secondary option because I'd rather have the better bat in the lineup. And if you have, you need to be good defensively. Springer in center looks comfortable. He looks healthy. That's a positive outlook. But he can't cover up for Teoscar all the time. And he just seems out of it in right field a little bit. If he could be your everyday DH, Kirk can get a rapport catching. He, he obviously has got a really good bat. He, he Kirk, there's not many great catchers that are great hitters in Major League Baseball. Salvador Perez, notwithstanding, in Kansas City, Kirk could be that guy where he's just a phenomenal hitter. Mitch Garver comes to mind in Minnesota. He's a good batter. But there's many catchers are just subpar batters, and teams just accept that they're they're porous at it because they catch, because they're good with pitchers, and and you you go through it and you just accept the poor bat in the bottom of your lineup. I don't believe Alejandro Kirk is that guy. Danny Jansen will be that guy. He'll bat ninth every game, and that's fine. But he's had a hot start to the season. I don't expect that to continue. Last year through August, he was batting about 185. That's a large chunk of your season where Danny Jansen was either injured or couldn't hit the backside of a barn door. So I, I think for the Jays, getting Kirk going, getting him settled in as, as an everyday catcher is a big deal as well. Let him catch some guys. I think he caught Gosman on Saturday. So one of their new pitchers is already aligned with Kirk. I think that's a good sign. So I look at that as just projects because I think the Blue Jays are going to be a good team. Obviously, they're starting pitching at a tough start to the, to the season. Barrios was a disaster. Hinjin Ryu, I wouldn't have the most faith that he's going to turn it around and be a really good pitcher. I, I just think he's kind of spent. Gosman, I expect to be good. Manoa, I think he's going to be good. I don't expect a sophomore slump. I think the kid's got everything in his arsenal for him to be a stud, just to be a weapon night, time in, time out, and to be a really reliable guy. And I expect by the end of the year, you can have Breos, obviously. Then you have Gosman. This is in no particular order, but I expect by the end of the season, Alec Manoa will be the number three, will be in that top three. 
I think he'll be above Ryu, and I think he'll be beloved Kikuchi. We haven't seen pitch yet. He'll pitch tomorrow night against the, the uh, Bronx Bombers. But th- that that is how I see it shaping up. And maybe Ryu is just a guy that is not reliable. It's, it's, it's so early into the season, so you can't make that decision yet. But it was a tough first, tough start for him. You need him to rebound. You need him to be better his next time out. I believe his next start will be on the weekend. I think they play the Oakland Athletics this weekend, so another team that is not particularly good. Um, but they they go to the Bronx for four. The Bronx, uh, the, the Yankees beat uh, the Red Sox in two of the three meetings this past weekend. They lost in Sunday Night Baseball last night. But they're off to a good start. Stanton, Judge look good. Um, you know, Judge turned down that contract extension from, from the Yankees, so he could be free at the end of the season. But they, they look dialed in. Um, but again, I, I don't love the makeup of the Yankees roster. Seeing Joey Gallo with, with Stanton and with Judge just makes no sense to me because they all just they, they seem like the same person. Their pitching staff lacks for me. But I, I do think this is, even though it's the second series of the season, it's a good litmus test for the, the Blue Jays because you're playing a team in your division. You're playing a team that's been superior to you for multiple seasons now. So how do you handle them? Send a tone early. You have four games in New York. Go set a tone, play some good baseball, get some starting pitching to get your bullpen a rest. And I think that's a success. But, you know, you you give up one to Texas yesterday after you had a six-run lead. You came back from seven down. So you've had some problems. But I expect they'll rectify it. And um, you also look around tonight. You got Jays, Yankees should be a good game. You got Mets and Phillies. Mets are, have won three or four. Again, again, it's the Nationals. So you got to take all this with a, with a grain of salt. But I do think you saw good things. I'm interested to see them watch the Phillies, who had, went two and one over the weekend. Um, Nick Castellanos went deep. You saw uh, Harper went deep a few times. Kyle Schwarber. So a team full of big bats. We'll see what they can do uh, as as they welcome the Mets in. Um, and then Padres Giants. Giants went Padres take three or four from the Diamondbacks. Giants take two or three from the Marlins. But again, it's it's a weird start to the season because you have teams that are on off days now. You usually don't see this many off days. The Dodgers lost two of three to the to the Rockies. Do we expect the Rockies to be in a better position come the end of the season than the Dodgers? No. You know, the, the White Sox destroyed the Tigers yesterday 10-1. I think the White Sox are, are a really good team. I like their pitching. Carlos Rodon had a really strong first start for, for the Giants. So, and... My guy, I think player of the weekend, is Nolan Arenado for the St. Louis Cardinals. Three games, 500 average, two homers, seven runs batted in. Couldn't have had a better start. The Cardinals are on fire. Um, and obviously they played the Pirates. But um, their bats are, are playing well. Arenado's playing well. Again, it, it's super. you can't make too too many judgments, too many uh, you know big hot takes because there's just not there's not enough sample size for you to have a strong opinion but i will say uh, it's it's early on in the baseball season but uh, but i'm enjoying it i'm watching a lot of baseball there's one game in the nhl tonight which is winnipeg montreal 
I'm more I'm more student, but it's gonna be a ball night for me. I'm gonna watch a lot of baseball. Um, so you got you just had the Masters, you the UFC this weekend, you got the NBA playoffs technically starting tomorrow with the play-in, NHL's winding down. It's a good time to be alive in the sports world. Um, NHL, before we wrap today, we'll talk about some NHL quickly. Um, sneaky good story, which I don't know if it was really talked about because it was last night, Sunday night, NHL, who cares? Jordan Stahl, captain of the Carolina Hurricanes, got a hat trick. His 11th, 12th, and 13th goals of the season. Jordan Stahl, obviously the legendary Stahl family, Jordan, Eric, and Mark. And he got a hat trick. It was his first hat trick in 13 years. It was the longest stretch between hat tricks in NHL history. It was just a cool story. You know, I thought, you know, Jordan Stahl is not known for being a goal scorer. He's a defensive forward been a really good leader in Carolina for a long time to get a really good team, but he gets a hat trick. Good moment for him. And um, yeah, I, I just don't think it was that talked about, but Jordan Stahl, again, just a quietly, a really good player for a long time, obviously a high draft pick won, won a cup with Pittsburgh, but he's on Carolina. They got a good team. They're, they're in a battle with the Rangers to see who can, who can stay, who can get first in the Metro. That'll be a, a race throughout the rest of the season. So that's interesting, but I thought that was a great story. Um, Austin Matthews scores a pair on the – he's up to 58 goals with 10 games left. I think he will get to 65 for sure. It's just can he make a push for, you know, 68, 70, depending on what happens down the stretch here. If the Leafs continue to play extremely well, where they stay ahead of Tampa by three to four points, stay ahead of Boston. But by the last game against the Bruins, I don't know if Austin Matthews will be in the lineup. If they decide to rest people, how they decide to approach it down the stretch. If they are locked into the, the two spot in the Atlantic division, let's say, come the last game of the season, and I believe that's on April 30th or something. It's a Friday night against the Bruins. If they're locked into that seed and they know they're playing the Bruins, they know they're playing Tampa, there's nothing to be gained from winning or losing that game. I don't know why Matthews, Marner, the cast of characters, the big important guys would play. I, I To me, they would never play because there's no reason to. The only thing that could happen is they get injured. They don't need a warm-up. They've been playing every game down the stretch. They're important. So that could potentially hurt him. Um, but I look at it, they got Buffalo left. They have uh, Ottawa. I believe they have another game against Montreal. So they have, he's been scoring against everybody. Don't get me wrong, but they got some teams that don't have much to play for. Buffalo lost five, nothing to Tampa last night on the road. So although Buffalo has beaten Toronto twice in a row, I think it all depends. I think he'll be motivated. I think he wants to, obviously he's at 58, he's going to crack 60, but if he can get to Stamkos' number, if he can get past that, that would really set him up well, really be something that is in a feather in his cap for the rest of his career. But I do think down the stretch is important to see where this race goes. How does Tampa play? They play Tampa again. If you beat Tampa in those head-to-heads, if you beat Florida when they go back down there next weekend, um, is there much to play for? If Do they stay? They're eight points back of Florida. Both teams have 10 games left. 
So I'm not so sure. I don't think they'll catch Florida. But is, is it Tampa? Is it Boston? Where, where does that go? So they got Buffalo tomorrow. Then they have Washington. Then they have Ottawa. So it's a, it's a fairly easy schedule down the stretch. Kudos to the Washington Capitals. They are on a, on a tear recently. They are now four points back at Pittsburgh for third in the Metro, and they have two games in hand. So technically they win both those games. They are tied for Pittsburgh for last in the Metro. So they're battling to play a New York in the first round to not get a Carolina, potentially not get a Florida. So um, they're battling. They're playing good hockey. They beat Boston yesterday. They beat Pittsburgh Saturday afternoon. So kudos to kudos to Washington. They found it a bit. They're starting to play better hockey. Ovi got the 45 goals on the season. I think he wants to get to 50. That'd be a big milestone at 37 years old to get to to get to 50 goals. Chris Kreider's up to 49. Um, so Kreider is um, is right there. He's gonna so Kreider's gonna get to 50. Dry settles at 50. Matthews is gonna get 60 plus. Potentially Ovechkin gets to 50. I think Connor's got either 42 or 43. He missed a few games. They got eight or nine games left. So potentially Kyle Connor could go on a tear down the stretch. So we could see a number, a handful of guys get to 50 goals. But if if Ovi, Matthews, Kreider, Dryside, I think we're I think we'll see five guys, at, at least four guys get it this season. With, with the names I just said, I think those guys will get to 50 goals. Only one game in the NHL tonight, uh, and that's Winnipeg at Montreal. No Mark Scheifele. He was injured in the game last night against Ottawa. But lots of games tomorrow, lots coming up. Again, I, I think the hearts – the NHL is kind of mundane right now because you're. I'm waiting for something to, to be interesting. Like, I, I, look, I look ahead to the schedule, and I look ahead to what will be interesting to me. Saturday afternoon, I'm looking forward to a game. It was Minnesota-St. Louis. They're tied right now in the standings. Minnesota came from three goals down last night to win. Minnesota's got Edmonton this week, who's been playing well. And St. Louis, to look through it, they're in Boston. So two two difficult games for those teams uh, on Tuesday night. But as we get forward, I want those teams still to be tied when we get to Saturday in points. I want that to be a, a big game. It's actually a nationally televised game. It's on the mothership. So... Um, they play then third. I, I believe they each play twice before Saturday. So Blues then go to Buffalo. Pretty easy game, but they can be tricky. Minnesota's and Dallas will be battling for their playoff lives, and then they play Saturday afternoon in in St. Louis, and what potentially could be a game that decides who gets second in the in the um, in the uh, Central Division. Because right now. Minnesota's got 94 points. They've played 74 games. So they have a game in hand on St. Louis. St. Louis has 94 points in 72 games. So St. Louis has 10 games remaining. Minnesota has 11. Um, L.A. loses last night to Minnesota. Minnesota came from three goals down. L.A. now trails Edmonton by four points, and Edmonton has nine games remaining, and L.A. has eight. Uh, eight. So – Edmonton looks like they're in good shape to get win that division. Dallas is currently set to 86 points with 10 games remaining. Vegas is two points back with, 73, with uh, nine games remaining. And Dallas is now only a point back of Nashville, who have 70, who have 87 points. So that, 
that could get in. It's just kind of wild card races right now and little races like that to look forward to because Colorado is going to win the Central. Calgary is going to win the Pacific. I believe Florida will win the Atlantic. Metro is a race that should be compelling as we get on the stretch. But I'm looking for little battles because you got the, I think the hearts on lock already. We got three weeks left. Um, I, I, the art Ross is, is it really that big of a deal? If McDavid wins it again, could, could good draw go on a heater, make it interesting. Huberto is five back. So looking for little stories like that, but we'll, we'll touch on it all. I'll be back tomorrow. We'll recap some baseball. We'll talk about some different things, hockey news, things of that nature. So, Hope you guys enjoyed the show today. Be back tomorrow and have a great night. This has been To The Point.